you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. We're going to get into the word of the Lord. I'm going to do something that is a bit unusual for me. Um, I'm going to revisit um, a recent subject something I spoke on this weekend, and I had several people reach out to me, and um, I I just felt that it would be good and right uh, for us to to revisit uh, a piece of my Sunday morning message that uh, I felt I kind of had to rush through right at the end uh, to close. I had spent all of my time up front, and I got to the end, and I had about five minutes to blitz through, and I blitzed through seven things that I felt like the Lord gave me uh, to speak, and uh, I rushed through those things, and tonight I'm going to maybe expand that subject a little bit, and we're going to uh, take a look at some of those things, but I'm going to take a scripture reference tonight from Psalm 119, if you would like to turn there with me, glad to see Brother and Sister Bollinger make it back from vacation. Uh, a few days off, glad they're back with us, and uh, it's good to see God's people be able to come back together, amen, and uh, appreciate all of you so much for being here tonight. Psalm 119, I'm going to read 133 through 135, order, everybody say order my steps, order my steps in thy word. And let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man. Mm. Deliver me from the oppression of man. So will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. And teach me thy statutes. I could have stopped with the first phrase of 133. Order my steps in thy word because it's so it, it's so in, uh, incapacing I guess of the um, include it, it includes everything that that I'm going to try to bring together tonight is the fact that we want and need God's word to order our steps how many of you want your steps ordered of the Lord so we want to walk in his precepts. The issue is, is we all deal. 134 speaks of deliver me from the oppression of man. Sometimes some of the most dangerous things we fight are the fights we fight from within, but there's some very dangerous fights that we fight that come from the oppression of man. 
and we're going to look at some of these things tonight. I, I'm going to talk to you for a little bit tonight on the requirement uh, of every mountain climber. I felt like the Lord gave me seven things, and I'm going to kind of slide in and out of those things tonight as I, as I reflect on those items that I brought to you on Sunday morning and expand those, and hopefully in a way of instruction and teaching tonight that helps us to recognize that the Word of God is giving direction into our lives. We need the direction of the Holy Ghost. We need the direction of God. Lord, help us tonight as we get into your word. I pray, Lord, that your word finds its place in our heart, in our spirit, in our lives. God, that your word does more than just affects our minds and give us a head knowledge, but God, that it gets deep into our spirit and affects our heart, changes our lives, changes our actions, helps us, Lord, to walk in your way and in your statue. Help us tonight, Lord, as we are on our journey of doing your will. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Sunday night, I spoke to you and talked to you a little bit about Samaria. And this week, well, I have walked down the streets of Samaria. Someone said to me today, well, I'll teach you next time to pray, to, to preach on uh, going to Samaria. Uh, because this week, I have walked through Samaria with some people. Uh, some of you know uh, what I mean. Maybe you have been to Samaria this week. I've been on a mission this week to reach some people. Some that maybe others would ignore and look away from and not go after. But I feel like that I am ordered of the Lord and I am on a mission from God. And I want to lead by example. So I preached it this weekend and have lived it all week. And uh, so I covet your prayers that some of the... The, the labor that we have put forth this week, would that we would be effective in the work of the Lord. We want to do more than just be busy. We want to be effective. Now, this is a big building. I need a good strong amen once in a while. I know it's Wednesday night and you're tired, but I got you to yell up here at me once in a while. Let me know I'm doing all right. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight on the requirements of every mountain climber. I talked to you Sunday morning using the subject, give me this mountain, and I wrapped up with seven things that the Lord gave me, and I'm going to explain this to you in a little more detail how the Lord gave it to me. Um, I don't want to come across mystical, over-spiritual, uh, or any of the sorts. Rather, I want to explain to you when I told you that God gave it to me, I'm going to explain to you even how God gave me the subject matter in which that I brought to you on Sunday morning. I was on the mountain, became ill, and I came back when I finally got back to, uh, back to our, our base camp, and I laid down, I, I pulled out my phone, which was the only thing that I had handy. I didn't feel like walking to my truck uh, to get my, my notepad, so I pulled out my phone, and I went to my notes, and I began just to make some notes, and I was praying, and I asked God, I said, Lord, uh, this has not been exactly a day the way I had planned it. This has been a difficult day. This has been a hard day, physical day, emotional day in a lot of ways. And I began to ask the Lord, God, what are you, what are you wanting to say to me? What, what can I learn from today? And 
I began to write down a list of things that I personally had learned from the day. And as I was kind of journaling my, my experience of the day, uh, how that it had affected me and what I had been through and what lessons that I had learned to look at uh, before I would ever attempt to do such an, an adventure, maybe I should call it, again. And then after I wrote some of those things down, I was praying and I asked the Lord, I said, God, show me, reveal to me what you're speaking to me spiritually through these things. It became very evident that the things that I had written in the physical, in the natural, that God was truly speaking to me in the spiritual. So while I was experiencing it naturally, it, it came through in the spirit. Uh, let me use a very recent illustration that I brought you. Uh, Sunday night when I talked about Jesus meeting the woman at the well. When Jesus met the woman at the well, do you know the subject matter that Jesus spoke when he met the woman at the well? He didn't meet the woman at the well and start talking about hot rod cars. When he met the woman at the well, he started talking to her about water. That would be a very common thing that they had. They were both there for water. But Jesus then uses an analogy of water and talks about his living water, he called it. So he used what they had in common. He used, they meet at a well, he talks about water. He uses a thirst, something they had naturally, and he, he ties it together and he uses something in the natural to reveal things in the spiritual. I believe God does that often to us. He gives us very earthy, basic life experiences in which if we will slow down in our fast-paced life and ask God, what are you trying to speak to me, that he will reveal to us some things that he is wanting to say to us in the spirit. But it comes through some of the things that we go through or deal with in the natural. And so as I ask God, what, what are you wanting to speak to me? What are you saying to me, Lord? And in doing so, the Lord began to take some of the things that I wrote down. Not all of the things I wrote down seemed to apply. But several of the things that I wrote down that I had learned in the day, the Lord began to reveal to me. And then I felt the unction of the Holy Ghost. And I felt inspiration of God. Now, I'm, I'm giving some of you insight. People ask me sometimes, how do you arrive at messages when you, you come preach two or three times a week? How do you arrive at messages? Sometimes I'm driving down the road and I see a billboard. And I said, yes, I like that. I'm going to do it. I walked into a room the other day, and a man there looked at me, and he said, oh, I like, that. I like what that door says. And I stopped and backed up and looked at that door, and I said, yes, I will be talking about that on Sunday. Because it was a message that the Lord was speaking. And I saw it, and I said, wow, look at that. That's a powerful statement. That's a powerful thought. And I received inspiration on that. And I went back and began to pray over it and began to ask God over my experiences of the day. And the Lord began to reveal some things to me. And then I began to ask God, Lord, how does this apply to our church? How does this apply to people, our membership? How does this apply to us as a people? And, and I began to look back through 
through that and God began to show me this is how it applies. And, and some of it I began to, to, to modify and change. And there were certain things that just seemed like they were, they were there on the page, but they, they meant nothing in the process of what God was speaking to me. And by the time I was done, I had a list of seven things that God had expanded into my mind and into my heart, into my spirit. And those things became some things that the next day I pulled back out and read back through and I said, wow, that's good stuff. And so tonight I kind of bring you that list of seven things that the Lord spoke to me and expanded in my mind. And I, I came, I just kind of ran over the highlights of them on Sunday morning. And I'm going to come back tonight and talk to you about those things that I felt that God spoke to me specifically for the church in this hour. When I speak to you tonight, I, of course, want to pick back up where I was on Sunday morning as I spoke to those who are more experienced in life. Those who have been through a few battles, those who have climbed a few mountains. Now, let me preface before I get into this tonight, when I say requirements for mountain climbers, it'd be easy for most of us in here to say, I'm not a mountain climber, so I'm excluded from this message tonight. Unless we have mountain climbers, any mountain climbers here. Well, let me put it this way. How many of you have ever been through something that's very difficult in your life? Let me call it a storm tonight. How many of you have ever been through a storm? How many of you have ever been through a valley? How many of you have ever been over a mountain? You get where I'm coming from tonight. Regardless if you want to call it your storm, your mountain, your valley, your obstacle, your struggle, whatever it is, there's some things that I'm going to bring to you tonight that is going to help you with the next time you come up against something that God intends for you to go through, over, around, whatever. But God says, I'm not going to move it. Because I've got something that I want you to learn from it. See, sometimes we pray, God, move the mountain. And God says, I can move the mountain, but I'm not. Because if I move the mountain, you can't pass the test. Because the test is not the other side of the mountain. The mountain is the test. So sometimes what we're facing and asking God to move, he says that's the test. you got to decide. Do you want to go to the next level? Do you want to go to the next grade? Or do you want to pass the test? So what God is saying is I'm not going to move the mountain, I'm not going to remove the storm and make it go around you, but I'm going to give you grace to go through it. And when you come out the other side, you're going to come out better. And you're going to be ready to go to the next level. The first thing that I want to bring to you that I felt the Lord shared with me, I shared these seven steps, so it's not going to be anything that you didn't write down if you were keeping notes on Sunday morning. I'm just going to expand them tonight. First off, there is nothing that can, that can prepare you to climb a mountain like experience. Oftentimes, we want to say, well, if I was younger, I would do it. If I was at a different point in life, I would do it. I would go after it. I would conquer it. I would overcome it. I would be able to handle it. But at my stage in life, I can't go through it. I want to tell you tonight that the enemy will bring all sorts of things into your mind to cause you to believe that you can't when it's God's will for you to climb the mountain. And while others may have the ability to run up the mountain, you just do what God has called you to do because your experience will take you places 
that zeal will never take you. The youth may be full of zeal, but this audience that I'm speaking to tonight, most of you have, a, have, have may, maybe have a few gray hairs in your head. You learn something in the process of developing those gray hairs. A man who has never been through anything doesn't have a lesson to teach you. And from your experience, you have some life lessons. Youth have zeal, but with age comes experience. And with experience comes, uh, comes something that you can get no other way. You can't buy experience. You can't learn experience. Perhaps let me break this down for you, make it very clear. In the job world, I've seen many, many times someone that may be on a job and they've got several years experience, someone comes out of college and they have the college degree and they get hired and they come in and they just wreak havoc in the, in, in the whole area that you're working because they come in with a book knowledge, but you've been there for a long time. My sister was on a job for a long time. She's kind of a leader type personality and uh, she's a take charge kind of person and she had really moved up in, in the bank where she was and she had moved up and she was kind of second in command and, and uh, it came an opportunity for her to move into first position but she was lacking the, the level of degree that was needed that an outsider had and so the, 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 the powers that be chose to hire, hire the outsider and the outsider came in and they had a degree a mile long and they came, came in, started changing all sorts of things, started wrecking havoc, people were quitting, people were falling out, people were leaving, the bank started going downhill somewhat and they came and they said, here's what we want you to do. We want you to go to Karen, that's my sister, and we want you to allow her to teach you from her experience some things that you need to learn. Hello, somebody. She didn't have the degree. She didn't get the job. She applied for it. She never got the job. She, never, she wanted the promotion. It never came to her. But her experience was more beneficial than somebody else's credentials. So in life, a lot of times, it's not necessarily where you think you are in status. When it comes to doing something from God, for God, your experience will allow you to do more than somebody else's abilities or talents. Because you have experience and understanding. Experience will teach you some things. My most effective areas, personally, my most effective areas of ministry is when I minister out of my personal experiences. When I'm sitting in my office and I'm talking to somebody and I can speak to somebody out of personal experiences, I feel more effective there because I'm not telling them what I learned in Bible college or what I learned in the last seminar I went through or the last training session or what I heard somebody else say or what I read in a book somewhere, I'm sitting down and saying, I know when I went through that. This was my experiences. The, the, the experiences that you go through prepare you for a greater level of ministry. Let me help you and break it down and make it a little more clear. What you have been through ought to allow you to be able to teach somebody to either avoid the pitfalls of what you've been through, go around it, go over it, or sometimes just to encourage them to get through it. That's why the Bible says it speaks to the women. 
And it says, the older women, somebody ought to finish this for me, the older women ought to teach the younger. It ought to never be the other way around. It ought to never be the older teaching the younger. Now, I know the Bible speaks of the women, but it also, I don't believe that that's necessarily uh, uh, um, just written to women, but I believe that the elder ought to always teach the younger because your experience ought to give you the ability to be able to help somebody that has not been through what you've been through. Here's what I believe. I believe there are small groups that are yet to be developed in this church that will be birthed out of some of your experiences. Some of you have been through hurts. You've been through divorces. Some of you have lost children. Some of you have wayward children that have gone way away from God. Some of these issues that has just destroyed you and maybe even brought moments of embarrassment and made you feel like you're never going to recover, but you did, and you're here tonight, and you're still standing, let me tell you where your most powerful point of ministry is. It's not in a pulpit. Your most powerful point of ministry is your experience because nothing can replace your experience of knowing what I've been through and understanding what somebody else is going through. After I failed in climbing a mountain, because what I failed to understand, and later with a snicker, my God says what you failed to understand is I train all year, but the last seven weeks, I've been climbing these mountains every morning. And you showed up. And just because you could do a two-mile walk run at 600 feet elevation, you're at 10,000 feet elevation, and you want to put your foot every place my foot goes and walk at my pace, it's never going to happen. My experience supersedes your zeal. Nothing will prepare you like your life experiences. What you go through, don't get angry at God. Oh, I'm, I'm ministering to somebody right now. When you go through hardships and hurts and struggles, it's easy to get angry at people and to get angry at God. How about we decide the Lord orders my steps? All right, let me go here. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And he, the man, he delighteth in his way. I don't like all the things I've been through. If God is ordering your steps, delight in it. It's your experience that God is going to use for you to be able to help somebody else. Number two, you must be conditioned to, to climb. Conditioning is very, very important. Pastor Danny came to me this week and he said, you know what, I've decided I'm going to Colorado next year. I'm going to go on an elk hunt. I looked at him and I said, you are insane. But what I forgot was is that he gets up every other morning at 4.30, goes and gets with a group of guys and does CrossFit. Isn't that dumb? I mean, a warm bed. 
It doesn't pay anything. I tried lifting weights. They were heavy. I tried running. I got out of breath. He says, no, man, I'm, going, I'm conditioned. I'm getting conditioned. I'm going to get in shape. There is your conditioning to climb. There is nothing that is going to help you any more than being conditioned. As a matter of fact, you'll never be effective unless you have conditioned yourself for what is ahead of you. It is more than just condition. Now, here's the funny part. Now, he goes and does stretches and runs and lunges and push-ups and all the above. But if he's going to go to the mountain and he's going to climb a mountain, there's a whole set of exercises that he's got to go through that conditions him specifically to climb the mountain. When there, are, when there are obstacles in your way or when your wisdom or your intuition or the Holy Ghost gives you direction and tells you this is what's ahead of me, you need to start praying, God, condition me to go through what I'm about to go through. Because here's what they say, when you're climbing a mountain, you use a whole set of muscles that you normally don't use. Because here as a flatlander, I thought I was doing good. I was doing a two-mile walk run. I'd walk a little bit, run a little bit, walk a little bit, run a little bit on flat ground. But the moment that I got to the mountain and I'm having to grab a hold of trees to keep from falling and I can reach up and touch the mountain in front of me and I'm literally climbing up like this. By the time I went up 100 feet, I thought I had ran 18 miles. I wasn't conditioned for that environment. There are some things that you know. You're, this, is what you're, this is what lies ahead of you. This is why, let, let me speak to leaders, heads of households. You need to stay ahead of the curve. If you let life come and blindside you, you're going to always be trying to live from behind. A leader cannot lead from behind. It's too difficult. You've got to be in front. You've got to be able to know. You've got to be out front. You can't be blindsided. I tell those that are close to me and around me, don't allow me to get blindsided. One thing I hate more than anything is to be, be blindsided. Just an FYI, if you're one of those people who call me and say, Pastor, I'd like to meet with you, do me one favor. Tell me what you want to meet with me about. Would you do that? How many of you would raise your hand and say, Pastor, if I call you, I'm going to tell you what I want to... Instead, you call me and say, Pastor, I need to meet with you in three days. It's very, very, very important. Okay? Could I ask what it's about? No, I'll explain it to you when I get there. Three days, I'm, lay I'm laying in my bed at night going through the scenarios. They're dying. They have cancer. Their kids are leaving. Their, their family's breaking up. They're leaving the church. They're moving away. They hate me. They're backsliding. They're going to ask me if it's okay, if polygamy is okay. I go through all of these scenarios in my mind for three days. Just make it clear, Pastor, can I meet with you? I need to talk to you and ask you a question of whether I should get the dog or not. I meet and I'm like, whoo, that was easy. I thought this was going to be a hard one. I've stayed awake three days over your meeting. Leaders hate to be caught off guard because it's difficult. So leaders usually want to know what is in front of them, and they're always looking out front. This is the way you should be. Something ought to not sidetrack you. You ought to be, you ought to be paying attention to your family. 
You ought to be paying attention to your kids, to your wife. You ought to be noticing things. If you notice, if you, if, when, when you notice certain things, you, you need to inquire. This is some of the conditioning for what is ahead of you. Spiritually, when you know, hey, I'm going to be facing some things in my future, don't wait until the storm comes for you to decide, oh, I guess I'm going to get in touch with God now. There's a storm on the horizon. I heard a story about a grandma. She was sitting out on her front porch, and there's a tornado coming her way. The grandkids all run out yelling, Grandma, 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 aren't you going to pray? She's sitting out on the rocking chair, and they could see the tornado coming. She's sitting up there looking. She says, No, kids, I've already prayed. I prayed before the storm ever came. There's some wisdom. How about we, we, we don't wait until we're in the middle of the storm for us to decide we're going to start praying? We need to be conditioned for what is ahead of us. If we know we've got a mountain to climb, start preparing for the mountain. You know why that I believe it's great for us to pray of a morning? Because morning prayer is good. We're conditioning in ourselves for whatever we come into that day. Can I go a little further? At the beginning of this year, we're going to challenge you on January the 2nd. It's going to be a Wednesday night. We're going to kick off. This year, it's actually, we, we usually call it 40 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, the way the calendar falls this year, it's going to be about 38 days. We're going to also, of course, for those that, that don't want to take the 38-day the challenge, we're going to challenge you for at least 21 days, which we'll pick up on around the 19th of January. But at the beginning of this year, Right off the start, the first Wednesday night of the year, we're going to come in and challenge the church. Come on, get on board with us. We're going to start the year off praying and fasting. You know why? We don't know what this year is going to hold. So we want to be conditioned for whatever this year brings. We want to be prayer conditioned. Well, thank you for the laugh. We want to be ready for whatever the year brings. When it comes to conditioning, age doesn't really matter as much as experience would matter. I talked about experience already. Endurance, everybody say the word endurance. Endurance cannot be taught. Endurance, endurance begins with a mindset. In conditioning, it is more than just physical conditioning. It is also mental conditioning. Since I've come home, I began looking over a workout regiment in the event that I ever lose my mind and decide I want to go to Colorado and do what I did all over again. If I choose to do so, there's a, I found some things. I didn't look for it before because I had no idea what I was getting into. I came home and I'm like, man, I'm sure there's got to be some things, some workout regiments. So I looked it up and sure enough, there they are. I pulled up this 12-week workout regiment. Ten weeks of it's very hard, increasing all the time. The last two weeks, you're not increasing. As a matter of fact, the last two weeks pulls you back just a little bit and says stay strong. But here, as you are working out, I want you to be mentally thinking about what you're going to be doing because we want to condition your thought process to know that there is a point that you're going to arrive at where you're going and it won't always be a struggle. 
Endurance is not something that can be taught. It has to be caught. You've got to catch it in your mind and in your spirit. Mark chapter 4, the Bible says that a sower goes out to sow. And, and there, the seed, of course, some falls by the wayside. And the word is sown. And, 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 and when they've heard, Satan comes, immediately takes away the word that's been sown in their heart. And those are like, likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness, but they have no root in themselves. And then the scripture said in verse 17, and so endure but for a time. They endure, but it's for a short time. Endurance comes through your conditioning. You have to be conditioned for endurance. The aged apostle Paul speaks to the younger Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. And he says, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Knowing that a soldier, he's using an analogy of a soldier. While Timothy wasn't a soldier, I never find where Timothy ever picked up arms, he was ever a soldier, but he used the analogy of a soldier, and he knew that a soldier had a hard life, and he said, Timothy, although you're a preacher of the gospel, carrying the gospel, you've got to endure like a good soldier. I was in my office in a meeting today, and we were talking about some obstacles and struggles, and I, I spoke to Spencer, and I said, you're strong. You're developing thicker skin. You're learning how to be able to let things that, that prick your skin just kind of fall off without it drawing blood and causing you to react. That's part of the process. You're learning how to endure some things that would destroy other people, but you're able to let it just fall off. I'm talking to somebody tonight. I'm talking about endurance. I'm talking about being able to endure some things that hit you. Verse number 3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness. How many of you know there's some hard people in the world? People hard to get along with, hard to work with, hard to talk to, hard to play with, hard to go to church with, hard to pastor. Oh, I better stop somewhere. Endure hardness, hard times, hard situations. Timothy then turns around in his second letter and he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. He learned the lessons of endurance. Now he's saying he wouldn't endure sound doctrine. But Paul tells him, But watch thou in all things endure affliction. You cannot allow what happens to you to stop you. One of the, that, that very verse right there in my study has kind of put a little, a little uh, stab in my shoulder, we'll call it my shoulder, that said, why don't you get up and decide that you're not going to let the mountain conquer you, but you're going to lose some weight, get in shape and go back and conquer that mountain. Some of us have got to understand that some of the hardships and struggles that we go through, we allow things to cause us to quit. I'm never going to try again because I wasn't successful the first time or the twelfth time or the tenth time or the fiftieth time. We've got to endure it and let God work some things in us. 
Because if we don't endure, we're not going to be saved. Matthew chapter 24, verse 13 says, But he that shall endure unto the end shall what? Shall be saved. Number three, who sped up the clock on me? Well, I've got to hurry already. In your climb, in your mountain climb, you've got to learn to climb slow and steady. You've got to pace yourself. Everybody say pace. Pace. In every race, there are pace setters. The pace setters go out. In bike races, they have, they have riders. They're not the star rider. They're the rider that gets out front. They set a pace. And there's two things about setting the pace. They set a pace that benefits their, their key rider. Every runner goes out. He sets a pace that benefits his running style. And if he can get everybody to drop in with him and run at his pace. So the winners oftentimes have a pace that is a little different than others. It's to try to throw the other runners off. But in mountain climbing, the issue is in climbing your mountain, you've got to set a pace that works for you. For some, they take off. And they run up the mountain real fast, but they don't last very long. It's like the seed that I wrote about a little bit ago that comes up, but there's no root, and it falls, and it dies, it withers because it doesn't have root. In your climb, you've got to learn to climb at your own pace. In what you do for God, you cannot establish a pace that somebody else is climbing at. Somebody else, if somebody else sets your pace for you, if you get in competition with somebody in your, in your journey with God, you will end up destroyed because God made you and he's allowing you to go through some things that somebody else may not be going through in this season. We all are going to go through things, but when you are going through a hardship, when you're going through a struggle, when you're going through a trying time, it will slow you down. Some people may say, well, it doesn't hinder me. Of course it does. Somebody talks about you. I have people say, doesn't bother me. I don't care what they say. Yes, you do. That's why you're even talking about it. Let's all be honest about it. We don't like it when people talk about us. We don't like it when people are negative toward us. And when we're going through a hardship and struggle, it slows us down. It doesn't make us a hero to, 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 to admit that trouble will slow us down. But trouble doesn't last always. So when I'm going through a struggle, it's going to slow me down. If you have a pulled muscle, somebody's going to run out and leave you. Understand, this is the season I'm in right now, but I'll be back. I'm going to nourish this, but when I come back, I'm going I'm, I'm to I'm be okay because I've learned to pace myself. Now let me apply this just a little bit. If you're, if you're new, new in the church, if you're new in your walk with God, don't get discouraged when you go to pray and somebody else, you hear, well, that sister... You know, she. Well, I heard about Sister Paula. She showed up at prayer meetings. She prayed. Sister Paula Meyer showed up, and she prayed an hour and a half. I prayed for 15 minutes. I didn't know what else to say, Pastor. I feel like a failure. Sister Paula didn't start showing up to prayer meeting yesterday. She didn't start praying last week or last month. She's been through some things. Her pace is a little differently than your pace is. And so learn to pace yourself and be okay with it. If you pray 15 minutes a day, just pray every day. 
A year from now, you may be praying 20 minutes a day. Before long, your prayer life will develop as, as you move forward. But pace yourself. Don't, get, don't decide that I've got to conquer the whole world in one day. The world was never conquered in a day. Pace yourself. Let patience have its perfect work. Don't compare yourself with somebody else. Somebody else is more effective somewhere than you are. They may always be more effective in that area. No, well, that's my area of ministry. That's where I want. It may not be where God wants to use you. Just because it's where we want to be used may not mean that's where God is going to use us. But we've got to pace ourselves. Don't get in competition with others and allow it to come out in our life. This is a spiritual journey. Everybody say a journey. This journey, all through the scripture, it does say run this race, but it says run this race out with patience. The Bible over and over again talks about this spiritual journey as a walk. But we all are impressed with somebody who comes, prays through, gets in the church, and they take off in lightning speed, blitzing out in front of the crowd. Wow, look at them go. One of my older Bible college instructors, his name was Kelsey Griffin. Brother Griffin used to say, you young preachers, you go out with a flash, you go up with a flash, you'll come down with a splash. Took me a while to learn what he was talking about. My dad used to say, don't get the cart ahead of the horse. I'm like, what does that mean? Pace yourself. Stay in line with what God is doing. Climb slow and steady. Sunday night we were here. I was so blessed to see our elders step out. It was our elders. I looked, I, I, I saw elders come forward before the youth came forward Sunday night. Elders stepped out and began to worship. It was elders that began to march around the church. And I saw some of the young people come. And if it wouldn't have been for the fact that I did let just a little bit, I, I regret not doing it because I felt it in the spirit. I regret not doing it. I watched these, I watched our young people as they were walking around with the with the elders. And I almost stepped up and took the microphone. And I said, hey, youth, don't try to walk with the elders. They're walking because they can't run. But instead of you walking with the elders, some of you ought to go ahead and run because you can. I looked over here. I saw Sunday night, Brother Duggar, he kicked that, that wheeler or whatever that thing is. He's sitting there about where Brother Scott said he kicked that thing in gear. And he come flying up here to the front. I think the tires were squealing when he came to a, to a stop. He threw his hands in the air. Big old alligator tears running down his face. Threw his hands in the air. And he was worshiping. And he looked over at Brother Dan. He said, come on, Brother Dan. Come on. Come on, Brother Dan. He's, he said, come on. Let's go. Let's go. He was out here making a lap. And he come back around over there. And I was convicted in my spirit. And I said, I think right now I would see. Because I remember when he used to dance in the spirit. I said, I'm not going to let him sit in a wheelchair unable to dance, and here I am on my feet. I went over and put my hand on his shoulder, and I don't have the dance that I used to when I was 20, but I put my hand on his shoulder, and in the best I could, I said, I'm just going to dance for you, Brother Duggar, because I feel in the spirit that if you were on your feet, you would be dancing. Pace yourself. If you can't run, walk. Whatever you can do, just don't stop. One teacher told the boy, Johnny, sit down. He sat down. Just a minute, he stood back up. She said, Johnny, 
sit down. He sat down. A few minutes, he stood back up. Johnny, sit down. He sat down. The minute he stood back up, she said, I'm putting you, I'm, I'm, I'm taking you out in the hall. You're in trouble. I'm putting you in isolation. He came back in. She said, stand there by that desk. He stood by the desk. She came around. She said, Johnny, sit down. He sat back down real quick. She said, now, did you learn your lesson? He said, yes, ma'am. He said, she said, explain the lesson. He said, I'm sitting down, but in my heart, I'm standing up. Whatever you can do, you keep doing it with all of your heart. Number four, extra weight makes climbing nearly impossible. I told you and shared with you a little bit about a 30-pound backpack that I put on my back the first day, the day of my lack of success. On day two, it was less than 10 pounds because I learned what that extra weight would do. And when I became weary at that, with that 10 pounds, you remember me sharing with you that my brother took my backpack, put it on his, his own self, and he said, you're sick, I'm going to carry that backpack for you. Because he had understood from the day before what the extra weight does. The issue is, is so many of us don't listen to Hebrews chapter 12 that tells us to lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. You and I have a tendency, we all do, it's human nature, we have a tendency to carry baggage with us, to carry things with us that God never intended for us to carry. I do not believe that you will ever be successful in your walk with God if you carry certain things with you. You can't carry condemnation with you. That's why the scripture says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus that walk not after the flesh but after the spirit now let me talk to you the devil will bring condemnation to you he will try to cause you to, to look and think and see everything wrong you've ever done every mistake you ever made every wrong everything you've ever said and he reminds you of it constantly because he wants to bring condemnation because he knows it's luggage it's baggage it's weight that will keep you and prevent you from being able to be successful in your walk with God Guilt, unforgiveness, bitterness. I'm just naming a few of the weights. You cannot survive with bitterness. You get hurt over something, get bitter over it, harbor feelings about it and won't forgive, it will prevent you from being saved. I'm going to tell you how I feel about the lack of forgiveness. People who cannot forgive will not receive forgiveness. Do you want to know how you're going to be judged? By the way that you judge others. When God looks at you, He's going to judge you by the way that you judged others. Your, your, your weight that you want to put on somebody else, the bitterness that you harbor, waiting, wanting to be, to be to get revenged for that hurt, for that thing they did to you, did against you, did against your family. That very thing will eat you up emotionally, spiritually, even physically. You cannot carry weights that you were not built to carry. So in our walk with the Lord, that's why the scripture says things like casting all 
I'm not saying any scriptures that you don't already know. I, I don't know. It must be the echo in the room, but I'm not hearing you yell it back to me. But you ought to quote some of these scriptures back to me tonight because I'm giving you some real basic scripture tonight. That's why the Bible says casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. It doesn't matter what it is. Instead of you carrying the load, if it's a care in your life, don't carry it. You weren't made to carry it. Cast it on him. Cast all your cares on him. Your fear, put it on him. Your anxiety, put it on him. That's right. I'm qualified to minister right here. I minister out of some experiences. We got into a building project and I said, my Lord, what have I done? I couldn't imagine the number of times that I came right here, even right here to the front. Even when we were near the end, I came, fell on my face. God, forgive me for ever leading us into this building project. It's never going to end. I laid awake at night worrying over it. What are people thinking? I feel like a failure. It was supposed to take 18 months and it's taken three years. It was supposed to cost one amount and it's costing 30% more. I'm a failure. I've made a mistake. I should have never done this. What if everybody leaves the church? What if people don't like it and don't come? What if everybody hates me? That's what the meeting's about. And I went to the doctor and the doctor said, your blood pressure's high. Are you under any stress? No. None at all. What do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Enough said. We're not built to carry those weights. We can't carry it physically, spiritually, or emotionally. That's why you need a daily prayer life where you go and you take those cares, those worries, those fears, those days, those doubts, those anxieties, and lay them on the altar. When I spend a sleepless night, the next night, thank God for a spiritual wife that would say, don't lay there awake, let's just get up and pray right now. And we could just pray, and I never left the prayer meeting feeling worse than I went in. But I went into that prayer meeting, and it wasn't long until I began to feel better. The load was lifted. I laid my head on my pillow and slept because God never intended me to carry the load of anxiety, of fear, of doubt, and he didn't expect you to either. Number five, there are some essentials that must go with you. You can't leave everything. It's not extra weight. It's not baggage. There are three things that they said you always take with you, and don't you ever leave camp without it. Number one is your GPS. It is your guide. It is your director. It is, it, is, it is so you know where you are. They said, I know you think you can look at a mountain and say, I'm just going up that mountain and I'm coming back down. But when you walk in, from down here you look up. I took pictures and showed to my boys, then I would show them a picture up close. From down here, I'd look at the side of the mountain, and it looked like grass. I imagined it to be like a meadow, and you'd see an occasional tree. looked like the size of a Christmas tree. But then you get in it, and it's like thick brush that's 20 feet tall. And those little Christmas trees, well, that's the top of 60 and 80-foot trees. 
and you get in it and it all looks the same. And all you know is that's downhill, that's uphill. But by the time you go back down, you end up somewhere else because you're going several hundred or several thousand feet up and back down. And then all of a sudden when you get to the bottom, you, you caught a ravine, you went the wrong direction, and you're in the valley. And now it's like, oh, they all look the same. Now where am I? But that GPS, that global positioning system, you know how it works. Many of you have them in your car. You have them on your iPhones. Three satellites, all at least three satellites have to lock in together. The more satellites that lock in, the more definition it brings to where you are. Those three satellites come on and tells you exactly where you are. I pulled out my phone when I was there one time, and I just said, where am I? And it gives me, you are 35 dot, dot, dot north. You are whatever, and it gives me exact location of where I am. I just saved it on my phone. Brother Scott, you and I could go right back there if I lose 60 pounds. We could get right back there, right where we were. Don't leave without your GPS. That's your global positioning system. Let me give you, let me give you some things that you've got to take with you on your spiritual journey. Let me tell you about your global positioning system. The Lord gave us, uh, there has to be a minimum of three satellites. I'm just going to work off of that if I could. I can give you four or five or eight if we had time. But, but let, me, let me tell you how God gives direction. He never gives direction in one, in one method only. Somebody said, well, I felt it in the Holy Ghost, felt led of the Lord, so that's what I'm going to do. You better make sure that you have taken those directors that God has put in your life and allowed God to direct you by more than just one satellite. He gives you the Spirit. The Scripture said when the Spirit of truth has come, it will guide you into all truth. It will never lead you into falsehoods, never lead you into a lie. The Spirit of truth will lead you. He gives you His Word. David said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It is a director that God gives you. God has given you a pastor. He's given you godly leadership. And he's put that into your life to help give direction. If what I tell you is not in alignment with the word of God and with the spirit of God, you need to recheck the alignment. I need to re re recheck the alignment that I'm speaking into your spirit. Somebody came to me the other day sharing with me, well, so-and-so told me that this is what I ought to do. I looked at them. I said, and? And they said, well, that's what I'm doing. It was of God. I said, you're making your life decision based on what that person told you? They said, absolutely. I felt like it was of the Lord. I said, wonderful. Do you know that person? Well, I mean, I know who they are. Do you know that they have the morals of a junkyard dog? And they're directing your life? They can't direct their own life. Oh, the Spirit's moving me. The Spirit says go here. I get real worried when all I hear from people is the Spirit says this and the Spirit says that. You ought to be led of the Spirit, but it better be in alignment with the Word of God and it needs to be in alignment with your spiritual authority. I'm preaching good to you tonight. There ought to be some alignment. The Bible said that there would be a day toward the end time when people would say, thus saith the Lord, 
but God has not spoken. I'm in the Holy Ghost right now to this congregation. Beware. Beware. Because not everybody who comes right here, even around these altars, that come, it's zeal sometimes. They're well-meaning. But they come and give you a word from the Lord. You better make sure you put that in alignment. Somebody said, well, I called 14 people to pray. I'm wondering why they don't call me to pray. It's because they wanted to gossip to the 14 before I found out about it. Mm. Well, it's getting quiet in here tonight. I'm talking about being aligned in alignment with spiritual authority. If God hasn't spoken, don't lie for God. He doesn't need your help. If God speaks, speak what God says. Brother Mooney told me one time, he said, be very, very careful, Brother Jordan. He said, when your church moves into spiritual elements and in spiritual ways, such as our church has, he said, be very careful because there'll be those that'll be filled with zeal that'll always have a word from the Lord and there'll be well-meaning, but God hasn't spoken and they will start trying to control the church and control other people's lives. But thus saith the Lord, when God hasn't got anything to do with it, it's their will. They're telling people where they ought to go, what they ought to do. They're directing their life according to what they want or according to what somebody around them wants. You ought to leave the church. You ought to do this. You ought to do that. You better make sure it's of the Spirit, it's of the Word, and your spiritual authority feels the same thing. Because God puts those things. He never gives direction in one way only. He will always, there will always be an alignment. There will always be an alignment. I'm out of time, but I'm going to try to wrap this up. Number six, you must be acclimated to the altitude. I talked a little bit about it. Given enough time, your body will adapt and change to the altitude to where what I experienced with altitude sickness, you will not do that. You will not overcome it. And a lot of people think, well, because I'm physically fit, the altitude will not affect me as much. They told me all sorts of things. But the truth is, I was talking to Brother Mick Mulbert, and he goes to Colorado skiing, and Brother Mick is older than me. But he doesn't deal, he doesn't deal with altitude sickness. He's never been out, he doesn't, he doesn't deal with it. Maybe partly because he's a skydiver. I mean, the man's like, he's, I'm, I'm praying for him. But he skydives, he does all sorts of things. So he's, he's, he goes into, into elevations, and, and it doesn't, but it doesn't affect him. He doesn't, but I, I, I'm not so. It affects me. I don't understand why. Different people are affected different ways. When it comes to the climate of the church, the kingdom of God and society, We've got to understand this. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. We can't be affected by the world. Things in the church and around the church may change. The doctrine must never change. The method of reaching the lost may change. In the 50s and 60s, it was bus ministries knocking, going door to door. Now you go door to door, knock on somebody's door. They come and you ask them, can I pick up your child on Sunday morning? They'll pull a gun and shoot you. It's societal changes. So today we do block parties and bounce houses and make it family friendly and invite the whole family to come. Everybody comes and sees we are weirdos. And they want to come join us because they're as weird as we are. 
but we've got to acclimate to the altitude so we understand the world around us. It doesn't mean that we're going to change and fit into the world because the issue is we live in the world, but we can't let the world live in us. There's so many changes that happen in society. Here just not too long ago, Sears closed down. I, was, I hated the fact that Sears was closing down. But the reason some of these department stores are closing is because there's a massive change in the world that everybody's doing online shopping now. Amazon's exploding and all of these online shopping places are exploding. It's a way for them to get the product into your home a, a few cents cheaper. And so society changes. We're adapting. I don't necessarily like it. I never thought I would live in a day that I would pay my bills on my smartphone. But it's life. It's society. It's where it's at. And we have to learn to change with that. And sometimes in order for us to survive in the church, we, as we grow older, we must not grow discontent with all of the world changing around us or our music style changing or methods changing. If, if we do, we'll, we'll end up falling by the wayside, but we got to keep climbing the mountain and know the altitude's changing. I'm acclimating to the altitude, but I'm staying true to the doctrine, true to the faith, still serving God. Methods are different. See, you're all looking at your watches now thinking you're already two minutes past due, but when I was a kid, they'd preach until they were done. To see society says, I got to shut down and quit. Number eight, number seven. Number seven of 18. Only kidding. Only kidding. It takes determination. Conquering the mountain takes determination. If you don't go up to that mountain with a mindset of determination, you will never be able to make it up the mountain. It takes determination. We all have ups and downs, and when you're down, you can't be out. When you're down, you have to know, I'll be back up again. I like that song. We used to sing it a lot and occasionally still pull it back and revive it. I'll be up again, just you wait and see. Tough times won't keep me down. It brings me to my knees. But there while I'm in prayer, God will send the victory song, and I'll be up again where I belong. By faith, Abraham went out when he was called, but he went out not knowing where he was going. God didn't tell him the destination. God just told him to go out, but he had to have a determination to know, I'm going out, but I'm not going to quit while I'm on the journey. God sends us on a journey. Sometimes we're like, Pastor, I'm, I'm kind of lost. I don't know where I'm going. But the Lord's just, he's nudging me to keep moving forward. He's increasing my prayer life. He's wanting me to do more and give more and, and be more faithful and all of these things. Just keep doing what God's doing. I don't know the destination, but sooner or later you'll look back and understand, here's why God was doing that. He was preparing me, but it takes a mindset. When the spies were sent out, I close with this. When the spies were sent out, Joshua and Caleb were the only two that came back and said, we can conquer the mountain. I've talked about it. I've talked about it Sunday. They're the only two that came back and said, we could conquer the mountain. But if you look through their lives, the lives of the other negative spies, the one that said we couldn't, their names are written in the Bible, but there is nobody in the room that can jump up and by memory be able to call all of their names because you don't even remember who they are. The only two spies that you will remember their names most likely would be Joshua and Caleb because the voices that said we can't. But if you look through the scripture, 
You know who two who heroes are all through the scripture? Because they were always people of faith, always speaking positive, always going after it, always doing, always accomplishing Joshua and Caleb. Because it wasn't just a one-time experience of we can't. It was that they didn't know how to say we can't. Because with God on their side, they knew that they could. Here's the idea. Whatever is in front of you, if you have determination in God, faith in God, get a Joshua and Caleb spirit about you and declare, I can. No matter what comes against me, I can. I was on the mountain, three hours sick, laid behind a log, finally got my bearings about me. I'd been laying there for a little while, probably 45 minutes or an hour. The dizziness was beginning to leave. I still didn't have any energy. And my guide reached over and kind of tapped me, and he said, he pointed over that way. He said, there's a black bear. I turned and looked, and sure enough, I'm sick, unable to walk, and there's a bear. He said, how you feeling? I said, good enough to get down this mountain. He said, are you sure? I said, absolutely. Not unless I have to. But if I have to, I can get down this mountain. He said, you're good. You're good. Just hold tight. That bear came by. Never knew we were there. He walked on along. A few minutes out came some deer, came from the other way. I watched him. After a little while, I got my wits back about me, got to feeling better. He said, how you feeling? You feel like you can get down the mountain? I said, absolutely. I got up and wobbled back down the mountain. It wasn't because I really felt like it. It was because I was determined that they weren't going to come carry me off the mountain. That I was going to go down that mountain. If it was the last thing I did, I was going to make it on my own. And if I, even if I had to roll up in a ball and roll down the mountain, I wasn't going to be carried off the mountain. It takes determination. When hardships and struggles in life come, it takes determination. I will overcome it. I will succeed. I will overcome it. I will be successful. I don't know. I hope I helped you tonight. I hope I didn't belabor these points too much. Going back and revisiting. Stand with me tonight. Thank you for giving me an extra seven minutes. God, help me tonight. Help all of us tonight. Lord, as we proceed in our journey with you, I pray, God, your will and your way, Lord, in every life and every heart. God, you know the plans you have for us and the plans are to prosper us and to give us an expected end. I pray, God, as we move forward toward our mountain to conquer, Lord, that thing that you have before us, to claim the promised land. I pray, God, that you give us faith, give us courage, give us all we need.